Good morning, it's so great to see you here today. My name is Michael and I serve with our creative team. And my name is Hannah and I serve with our student life team at our West Chicago campus. If it's your first time or your first time in a really long time here, we're so excited to have you back. And maybe you've been thinking, man, what's going on these days at church? We have a newsletter for you and you can find that at wheatonbible.org slash newsletter. You can pick the campus that you go to, the service time, and have that newsletter sent directly to you. Yeah, you'll get to see what's going on, what's coming up. Um, especially you'll have some serve opportunities in there if you're looking to get involved in the community with our different ministries here. It's really good. And if you are new here, um, I've been missing getting to know people. It's just, it, I miss it. I know, I miss people. I love people. So I was talking with my wife and you know she's an excellent cook, right? Oh my gosh, Elisa's cooking, chef's kiss. It's very good. So, so good. Um, if you are new around here and you're wanting to get to know somebody, you can do two things. One, you can go to wheatonbible.org slash connect. Somebody will reach out to you. Or two, if you would like me to come to your house, I will bring some of Elise's cooking, some of her soup to your house this week. Just text soup to 630-260-1600 <laughs> and you'll get some soup this week. That's amazing. It's going to be cold. That's amazing. You need some soup. Yes. Oh That's my gosh. Do, do it. Yeah. I'm 10 out of 10 recommend Elise's soup. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, as you know, I run help run the website here and I have a number for you to guess. It's okay. 400. What do you think 400 is? Uh, you pounded 400 Pop-Tarts your senior year of college. No. <laughs> Was Four, it close? No, not even close. <laughs> 500. Um, 
400 is the number of people that are going through our two-year Bible reading plan right now. It's the wow. McShane Bible reading plan. So 400 people are reading the same chapters of the Bible every day and able to talk about it with each other. That's pretty awesome. That is really awesome. And if you haven't started that reading plan yet and you want to, you can find that at wheatonbible.org slash resources and you can get just the February calendar there. Or if you want to know what's in store the whole year, you can download the entire year-long calendar there. So Michael, I think that's all of our announcements for today. So one more thing. We have one more thing. Yes. After this, we've got a great video coming up. So check this out and text soup. See ya. <laughs> you may remember Josephine, one of our Missions Fest Giving Project partners with Hope for Life Kenya. Our church has partnered with this gifted visionary since 2004 when she began a feeding program for 20 children orphaned by HIV AIDS. Today, the Hope for Life Center provides holistic care for over 300 vulnerable children by providing nutritious meals, after-school programs, vocational training, and the gospel. Josephine has also been instrumental in empowering leaders throughout East Africa to be agents of transformation in their communities. Each month, our church invests heavily in Hope Kenya. But during this global pandemic, Kenya has been hit so hard. Josephine mobilized community leaders to distribute food and emergency supplies throughout the region. Our additional $15,000 grant through Missions Fest has empowered Josephine to feed the families of more than 300 vulnerable children every week. And when the in-person feeding program begins safely again at the center, our ongoing generosity will ensure a nutritious daily meal month after month. God is using Josephine in a powerful way to help fellow Kenyans find hope. Through your generosity, you are helping make this possible. It is such a blessing to hear how God is using this local church and its generosity for his glory throughout the world. And if you're able, would you consider right now giving a financial gift or setting up a recurring gift? There's a couple easy ways you can do this on our website, wheatonbible.org give. Or for those of you who are in person, there are boxes near the doors where you can drop off your offering for God's glory. Giving is just one way that we respond to God's steadfast love for us in Christ. As we gather corporately each week, whether in person or virtually, we worship him by focusing on Jesus together. And as we read, if you're following along in our church's Bible reading plan, as we read in the book of Mark this week, this is Jesus who said that he came, his purpose is to come to serve his people. He did this ultimately by going to the cross and dying the death that we deserved, that we might enjoy a reconciled relationship with our Father. So let's stand and worship together by singing and reading scripture today.
from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Join me now in praying this aloud together. 
Most merciful God, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. John 15 continues. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. You do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. This is my command, love each other. Would you please stand? Will you come and follow me if I would call your name? Will you go where you don't know and never be the same? Will you let my love be shown? Will you let my name be known? Will you let my life be grown? Or scare, will you let me answer prayer in you and you in me? Will you let the blinded see if I but call your name? Will you set the prisoners free and never be? the same will be near to what I mean to lose and admit to what I mean to you and you to me call your name will you quell the fear inside i 
Well, good morning and welcome to Wheaton Bible Church. I want to especially welcome those of you that be, might be tuning in online. We're delighted that you are joining us this morning. We're praying that this service will be a wonderful experience for you and blessing. God will use it as a blessing in your life. Today, as we come to John chapter 15, which we've read in parts already, we come to what I think is one of the most fascinating, foundational, and influential passages in the Gospels as Jesus unpacks the nature of our relationship as believers in Christ with him. Now, the context is it was an awful moment in the lives of Jesus' disciples. It was the last hours that Jesus is spending with the disciples, teaching the disciples before he was crucified. And the disciples were raw. Judas had already deserted them. Peter would fail them. And Jesus has been telling them that he would be killed and would leave them. And the disciples were so far over their skis that they were absolutely convinced that they were about to crash and never recover. So beginning in John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, in this extended discourse, what we call the upper room discourse, Jesus' last extended teaching with the disciples... Jesus unpacks for them this relationship that they enjoy with him. And here Jesus is pouring into them, preparing them for the turbulence that's ahead. And as we saw last Sunday in uh, the section just prior to our section at the end of John chapter 14, Uh, Jesus uh, teaches them that God the Father would send God the Spirit to point to God the Son. And so now, beginning in John chapter 15 and verse 1, Jesus builds on that, explaining to the disciples that he is the key to life. Not just to overcoming adversity, but to grow, to change, to spiritual fruit, and to becoming great. And that's what we want to look at today, because here in our section, Jesus tells us how we can live lives of greatness as God counts greatness. So would you stand with me? As I go back, uh, and I will go through this in continuity, beginning in chapter 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He that is the father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, the Greek word behind the English word clean has been transliterated into English, and it's our word cathartic. 
You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Uh, you have experienced a spiritual change, a, a, a catharsis in your life. And Jesus is talking about, you have responded to my teaching about forgiveness. You have believed in me and now you are forgiven. And so verse 4, this important verse, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in me. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, now notice you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. This is a metaphor, a reference to hell. If you remain in me, however, and my words remain in you, and notice this, we'll come back to this, my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you, and here we have it again, bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, and this is amazing, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And that's God's word, and you may be seated. Now I want to clarify something. As much as this wonderful passage has to say about the disciples, our relationship to Jesus, <clears throat> To Jesus, its emphasis is on how the disciples, through Jesus, will bear fruit. So five times in the first paragraph, you have the words fruit or fruitfulness. When we come to the second paragraph, uh, we hear Jesus saying much fruit, much fruit twice. You see, Jesus is talking about bearing fruit. Now think about this. God created you to be fruitful. Jesus died so that you would be fruitful. And now Jesus is saying, I am inside you and the source of your fruitfulness. In other words, Jesus is telling you he wants to make you great as God counts greatness, fruitful. Now, the term fruit here uh, means character, it means integrity. Think of the fruits, of the fruits of the Spirit. But it also is a reference to your influence, your impact. Think salt and light. Now, nobody saw this coming for the disciples. What Jesus, if you will, is promising the disciples, promising us, and saying will happen. Nobody saw the fruitfulness, nobody saw the influence of these fumbling, bumbling disciples. So here Jesus is telling them how to become great, 
Here Jesus is telling you how you will grow, how you will change, how you will be fruitful, how you will, can live a life of extraordinary influence. And what I saw, find so interesting is, yes, there are commands here, but there are also wonderful promises. So I want to unpack this, and I want you to see, according to Jesus, three ingredients that make up a life of fruitfulness. And the first is this. You must be clear that Jesus is your vine. So look at what Jesus says in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine. Your money, your job, your family isn't your vine. Jesus is your vine. And then in verse 5, he says the same thing a little differently. I am the vine and you are the branches. What Jesus is doing here is extraordinary. He's telling the disciples, yes, I will die for you. Yes, I will be raised from the dead for you. But I have not come to live outside you. I have come to live inside you. The vine is a metaphor. The Bible is full of metaphors. And in the Bible, a metaphor is a call for you to look beyond the mere physical to the incredible, the wonderful, unbelievable spiritual realities that the metaphor points to. And so what does this metaphor point to? Jesus is saying what a vine is to a branch, I am, I am, Jesus is to you. In other words, I am your everything. I am your source of life. Now, Jesus here in this metaphor is talking about the nature of our relationship to him. He's talking about our shared life in Jesus Christ, what theologians call our union in Christ. It's what Paul gets at later in the New Testament, building on this metaphor when he repeatedly uses the phrase in Christ. To be a believer, to be a follower of Jesus is to be in Christ. Now, what does that mean? It means Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. And here Jesus says that using this metaphor. I am the vine, you are the branches. What a vine is to a branch, Jesus is to you. And I, I find this amazing because the very first thing Jesus is telling us in talking about our union, our shared life in him is that he and this relationship is the doorway to spiritual fruitfulness. What a vine is to a branch, Jesus is to you. Now think about this. The disciples are about to go up against overwhelming, impossible odds. Their lives will be characterized by problems and poverty because they are moving into a world that will be increasingly hostile toward Jesus. They will experience chronic contempt, uh, uh, rejection, persecution, imprisonment. 
And almost every single one of these disciples will be martyred, put to death for their stand with Jesus Christ. But yet Jesus promises they will bear much fruit to the extent that they understand Jesus is the source of their life, that Jesus is their strength, Jesus is their purpose, that Jesus is their vine, that Jesus is their protector. Jesus is promising here that just as a vine holds nothing back from a branch, so Jesus will hold nothing back from you. Wow. Paul elaborates on this remarkable concept, this remarkable metaphor in Ephesians chapter 1 when he says to be a believer is to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours. It's why he goes on in Ephesians chapter 3 and prays that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. And that we might know uh, the surpassing love of God in Jesus Christ. That we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That we might live lives of incredible fruitfulness. That we might bear much fruit. It's why Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in us that enables us to glorify God. It enables us to, to bear fruit. Jesus is not a distant God who gives you a couple gifts and then moves away. Jesus has come to take up residence inside you. He is the one that energizes you. He is the energizing force of your life. He is the strength of your life. He is the one that will produce growth and change and fruitfulness. Now that's the metaphor. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. I mean, think about this. God's perfect son. The beloved of the father. The song of angels, the creator and the sustainer of life, the alpha and the omega dwells in you. Now, I want to take this a step further. Look at verse 9, just this first sentence in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Do you see that? With the intensity and the power and the majesty and the wisdom that characterizes the Father's love for the Son, Jesus' love towards us is characterized by exactly the same things. All the love the Father has for the Son, the gardener has for the vine, so the Son has for you. The vine has for the branch. And just as the father will not withhold anything from his son, so Jesus will not withhold anything from you. Jesus is your vine. You are his branch. Now let me apply this in two different ways. When we go back to almost the end of chapter 14, uh, we discover that Jesus says something that seems to be a little out of context. 
because he's been talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, oh, and by the way, Satan is going to come after you. Satan is going to come at you. And that's how chapter 14 ends. And then all of a sudden we're in chapter 15 and Jesus gives us this metaphor. And so we ask ourselves a question, what is the connection? Well, Jesus in this metaphor is calling us to live lives of dependence upon him. He is saying we have been created and redeemed in order to be dependent. And he wants us to understand that because Satan, ever since the Garden of Eden, has come along and whispered lies relative to this. And each and every single one of our ears. And there are two lies. The first is the lie of autonomy. So Satan whispers in your ear. Satan comes at you. He came at the disciples trying to convince you that you are independent, that you can do whatever you want, whatever uh, uh, pleases you. But Jesus in the metaphor is saying, no, no, no. Just as a potter owns his or her clay, a painter, his painting, a, a, a builder, his house, a business owner, her startup. God who created you owns you. And because Jesus Christ has redeemed you, that ownership is now more of a union and a, and a shared life. So Paul will say in Corinthians, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Glorify God in your, your body. Autonomy is a lie from the pit of hell. And it will both destroy you and kill your ability to bear fruit. Because Jesus, when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, is saying, you are dependent upon me. And my life flows through you. There's a second lie the enemy whispers. And that is the lie of self-sufficiency. It's this lie that you have everything within you that you need to be who you're supposed to be and do what you're supposed to do. So just suck it up and get busy. And we see both of these lies widespread in our culture, but Jesus says, no, no. I am the vine, I am the true vine. And when he says that, he's saying, you are not self-sufficient. You have been created to be dependent on me. And I want to say to you this morning, brothers and sisters, hear what Jesus is saying. Welcome this. Rejoice in this. Go to the bank on this, that I am not self-sufficient. I am a, a, a dependent. Because this will fill your life with joy. Regardless of what you face. So uh, the first ingredient to a life of fruitfulness, a life of change, a life of growth, is that you are absolutely clear that Jesus is your vine, not this, not that. Now second, let me go on. That you must be content when the Father prunes you. Now we see this in verses 2 and 3. Jesus says he cuts every 
branch off in me that bears no fruit, he's talking about the non-believer, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And then he says, you're already clean because you've responded to me because of the word I have uh, spoken to you. Now Jesus is drawing a contrast there in verses 2 and 3. He is saying, some people, non-believers, are cut off, but if you are a believer in me, you are cut back, that is, you are pruned. And his point is, as a believer, you simply cannot grow unless the Father prunes you. Now, I've seen this happen before in a vineyard. And it's remarkable, and the process of, uh, of pruning is actually dramatic. Because when it's done, and you look down on the ground underneath the vines that, that grow up on these fences, uh, you see all sorts of clusters, you see all sorts of branches, you see all sorts of twigs. It is like the vine has been completely stripped. It's like uh, it has been attacked. Because all this pruning has taken place. And Jesus is saying, to know me means the Father's knife will come into your life. It may be a dream, it may be a hope that gets dashed, it may be a problem, a setback, a, 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 a chronic thing that you, you think is going to overwhelm you, that sort of crashes upon you and, and threatens to drown you. And if you're like me, you look at these kind of things and you say, what a waste. And with Israel and Isaiah 40, uh, you complain, my way is hidden from my God. My cause is disregarded by my Lord. And we all think that in the midst of adversity, in the midst of uh, difficulty. But Jesus says, no, no. The Father prunes you in love so that you can reach your potential. So you can bear fruit. Now please, I am not saying that the Father sits in heaven waiting uh, and thinking about terrible things he can do to us. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you are vitally connected as a branch is to a vine, then the Father will use your problems to melt you, to humble you, to grow you and to change you. And it's all for his perfect glory. Now let me illustrate this. Two women had equally hard lives for the same reason. Their husbands were nasty. Their marriages were impossible. And one of the consequences of that is that each woman had a son that went off the reservation. Both women went to the same church, didn't really know each other, and both went to see their pastor for counsel. 
And the pastor told both women to forgive, to practice 1 Peter chapter 3. Do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing because that is to which you were called that you might inherit a blessing. And the first woman did and the second woman couldn't. And so, as a result, the first woman who forgave, and it was much of a much longer process, and it was much more of a, a struggle than she thought it would be, uh, as she forgave, you know what happened? She became a light in her very dark home, and that light flooded and changed her family. But the second woman that couldn't forgive, well, for her, her family fell apart. And the pastor, some years later, who had counseled uh, both of them, said the second woman couldn't forgive because her son had become her vine. Her source of joy, her source of significance, identity and when he went bad she felt like life was over that it wasn't worth living because her son had become her vine but the first woman said regardless of what happens Jesus is my vine. I can control outcomes, but I can control who I am going to ascend to the throne of my life, who in fact becomes my vine functionally. That Jesus is the source of my identity, that Jesus will be the source of my joy. So she became, as I said, this light. Now do you see the same knife that will cut off a person who does not locate her joy in Jesus will cut back and prune the woman that does. And in the hands of our, our loving God, God will use that pruning to make her great, a light. So what we're seeing so far in these early verses in John chapter 15 is Jesus saying, man, God wants you to live a life of fruitfulness. God wants to make you great as God counts greatness. Uh, but it demands that you are continually, chronically clear that Jesus is your vine. Jesus is the source of your life. Jesus is your power. Jesus is your hope. Jesus is your identity. And then secondly, it demands that you are content when the Father prunes, and prune he will, and sometimes that pruning will be dramatic and painful. And now third, what we see is that you must commit to actively pursuing Jesus, to pursuing Jesus. This is verses four and five. And it's the word remain. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Why? Because apart from me, you can do nothing of eternal significance. 
Now this word remain, 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 obviously is emphasized here. Sometimes it's translated abide. It means to draw your life from. To tether your life to. It means to stay locked in on. It, it, it means to persevere with. If you're a camper, it means to daily make your camp with Jesus. And it's this profound concept. And I want to take some time here to unpack the word remain because there's really two aspects. Uh, some might say a passive aspect and an active aspect, but I, I, I don't agree with that nomenclature. So let me say the first aspect focuses on God. And here we come uh, to the responsible, uh, the sovereignty of God side in spiritual growth. The Bible over and over tells us that God is working all things together for good in the lives of believers, that he is sovereign, he is sovereign over all things, everything in our life. So our response to the good sovereignty, the love of God, is to trust him, to believe in him, to place our confidence and our allegiance to him, to love and worship and serve him above all others. After all, the Old Testament tells us God's God says, I have engraved your name in the palm of my hand. Uh, your name is engraved in the palm of God's hand. That's how much he cares about you. And when we understand this and when we believe that God is sovereign and God is in control, uh, uh, then remaining for us means uh, that we are joyful, we are, are, are content. So with David in Psalm 131, David says this is king. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. It's a profound passage as it relates to this. Uh, David says, my heart is not proud. I'm the king, my heart is not proud. I do not concern myself with great matters. I'm the king or things too wonderful for me even though I'm the king. Then he says, I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. David is saying, mother knows best. How much more so, God? And so remaining, this aspect of remaining uh, in light of the sovereignty of God uh, means that we assume in life a position of submission and surrender and humility toward God. Think of Jesus in his incarnation. Uh, Jesus uh, laid aside his glory, became a man. Uh, the most incredible act of humility in human history. And every single day of Jesus' earthly life, he suffered. Yet because he trusted God, he submitted to God. And remaining, therefore, means that we humble ourselves, we submit to God, we surrender to God, we live by faith, just as Jesus did. And we remain as we believe. That God is my king, I am not the king, and good kings cause their people to prosper. God is going to prosper me. But there's a second aspect of this. 
Remaining also focuses on, on you. And here we move to the human responsibility side. Work out uh, your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul tells us. And this demands action on our part. It's obedience. It's, it's choosing to obey uh, Jesus, to, to, to love Jesus, to seek and to pursue Jesus as a lover seeks and pursues his or her beloved. In Isaiah 64, Isaiah says the problem with Israel is though no one was striving, working, laboring to lay hold of God. I love that uh, picture. No one was striving to lay hold of God. It's a, it's a tragedy, but what a lesson for us today. What does it mean to remain? It, it means you're striving to lay hold of the living God. Now, I want to show you three quotes. All of them are centuries old. Uh, the first is, let us labor to feel Christ in us. The second is, uh, labor to fill your heart with the cross of Christ. The third is, labor to be continually growing in divine love. That's John Calvin, John Owen, and Jonathan Edwards. And notice the word labor. Anything we want to do well, we labor over, whether it's your sport or your music or your academics or developing friendships or getting involved in hobbies or it's your job or it's your family. You see, you and I are what we love. And we labor over what we love. And so laboring here in this biblical concept of actively, actively pursuing uh, uh, Jesus uh, means you and I develop habits and practices, little habits, medium-sized habits, big habits, practices, disciplines, uh, uh, rituals. To fall more and more in love with Jesus. And those habits, those practices, those rituals in turn deepen and direct our affections. And I wonder, do you labor to lay a hold of Jesus Christ? Now to become a Christian is often easier than we think it is. Because we don't have to do this, we don't have to do that. Uh, the gospel calls us to trust in Jesus Christ and to trust in him alone. And so becoming a Christian is often easier than we think it is. But I want to tell you, growing in Christ is often harder than we think it is. Because you can't just sit and soak. Becoming great spiritually, which is what this passage is about, isn't automatic. Nothing worthy in life is automatic. It demands labor. Now I want to zero in on the primary area Jesus talks about where we need to labor. There's obedience here, there's prayer here, but look what he says in verse 7. If you remain in me, and here it is, and my words remain in you. My words remain in you. Jesus is saying in this verse, the key to answered prayer is believing Jesus by pressing uh, the Bible into your heart. 
So when you pray, your prayers are the overflow of your intake of God's word. When Jesus says, my words remain in you, Jesus is talking about your simple, slow, steady intake of God's word. Jesus is implying that you have a place and you have a plan for your personal reading of God's word. And if you're not one of the 400 doing our Bible reading plan, man, go to our website and jump in because Jesus is talking about all sorts of different ways we can come at God's word. Uh, through reading it, through memorizing it, through uh, talking in groups with other people about God's word, over God's word, listening to sermons regularly, podcasts, reading devotional books. Last fall, I did a wedding. I did a wedding out of state. COVID was peaking again. And I did a wedding outside in a vineyard. And the couple chose John 15. And I want you to hear what I said. This is my little marriage book about how John 7 relates to marriage. So I quoted John 7, and the point I made is, if you, Jesus is saying, if you remain in me, his words will remain in you. So I said the key to living a life of fruitfulness for Christ is remaining in Christ. And the key to remaining in Christ is remaining in his word. That's a point of verse 7. You cannot have Jesus apart from his word. So to the extent you treasure God's word, meditate on God's word, memorize God's word, you will know existentially, that is experientially, how precious Jesus is. The most important thing you can do for your marriage, according to Jesus, is to read the Bible. Talk about the Bible. Submit to the authority of the Bible. It's the Bible that teaches us what it means for Jesus to be the vine. And out of the fullness of his life flowing through us, what it looks like in marriage to forgive one another, to love one another in unconditionally, to be content when you're confused or, or maybe disappointed, to not return insult for insult, to treat each other with dignity and respect, and, and most importantly, how to become such good friends that no matter what problems arise, your love is unshakable. The key to living a life of fruitfulness, having a marriage of fruitfulness, uh, having a, a marriage that is great, is remaining in Christ. And the key to remaining in Christ is remaining in Jesus. Jesus has come, and I want you to be encouraged by this, so that you might become great as he counts greatness. And involves you being clear that he is your vine. And you are content when the Father prunes you. And you are striving, 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 striving to lay a hold of God by pressing his word into your heart. Now this brings us to communion. 
This brings us to uh, the, the cup and the cracker. And I want to invite you to take these out now. And in light of what we've just seen in our passage, I want you to understand that the cup and the cracker point to the reality that Jesus was cut off for you so that when you and I believe in Jesus, we would only ever be cut back. And as horrible as the knife is in our lives, it was infinitely worse for Jesus. The cup and the cracker are Jesus' promise that you will bear fruit much fruit because Jesus is the vine and you are the branches. So if you would take out the cracker on the night before Jesus was crucified he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me. Then taking the cup, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, Father, we thank you for the wonder of all that you have done for us in Christ. That Jesus is our vine. That his love towards us is unfailing, just as intense, just as infinite, just as majestic as your love for your son. So fill us, Father. Change us. For Jesus' glory, amen.
righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. Now in this power, because Jesus is our vine, may you sit, stand, walk, and run to the glory of God. And Father, may all of us be people that love the vine, treasure the divine, uh, the vine, delight in the vine. And so as we go into the world, as we go back home to our, our, our families, and we live our lives at, at work or in our, our schools, that you might bear fruit through us. And all God's people said, and Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent, but stay warm. <laughs>